0: Welcome to the Williamstown Church of Christ podcast. This is a sermon recording from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We meet every Sunday at 10am on the corner of John Street and Douglas Parade, and we'd love to meet you. For more information, head to our website, willychurch.org.au. Enjoy and God bless you. I'm going to do our, our sermon today and teach on Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is sort of a mysterious day in a lot of ways. There's, um, it's in all of the Gospels, but it gets about 10 verses, um, a little bit more, 11, 12, 13. Um, but it sort of gets a, a little bit of attention, and all the stories in the Gospels sort of um, say pretty much the same thing. There's a few differences here and there, and, and it's this big day, we, we, we put a day ...on the church calendar towards it. But we probably understand the theology of it or, or the why of Palm Sunday... ...less than, than days like Easter or Pentecost or Christmas. We have these, these big sort of days on the calendar that, that a lot of our theology and um, practice revolves around. But Palm Sunday it can be a bit mysterious. It's, Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week. So Holy Week, as, as the church has often called it, is this week from Palm Sunday to Easter. And it's this incredible week that, that is given a lot of attention in the Gospels of, of Jesus. Last week before his death and resurrection is the week where he entered Jerusalem and came and did a lot of what he was building up towards. Uh, and, and in some of the Gospels, like half, half of Mark's Gospel, which we've been studying, is given to these seven days, when like the other half is the rest of Jesus' life. So this is a, a huge week. Um, I've been calling it this week the week that changed the world. And does anyone has anyone done Alpha in the last few years? Has anyone done seen the Alpha film series, which has been um, is the new Alpha material? And at the end of week one of the Alpha film series, and I, I do this every time in Alpha because there's this uh, twenty minute documentary that introduces you to Alpha. And then you get Nicky Gumbel, the, the guy who's um, really the face of Alpha from, from Holy Trinity Rockdown in London, and he has this gentle, beautiful English voice. And he gets up and he stretches out his hand and goes, "Welcome to Alpha." <laughs> and then if the screen moves to the Alpha question mark logo, and you're pumped. And so I want to say, welcome. <laughs> to the week that changed the world. I can't do the accent the whole time because we have British friends with us. So (laughs) I don't want to be too offensive. But um, welcome to the week that changed the world. This is an incredible week. This week changed history. This week transformed nations, people and us, as, as Kate said. It's got this incredible sort of universal... Reach of what this week means, and then it's got this really personal impact as well. and so, so Palm Sun is the first scene of, of Holy Week, um, or the first scene of the week that changed the world, and the first scene in, in a movie or the first chapter in a book, or the first song in a musical or on an album often sets the tone for the rest of, of that drama. So I was watching a documentary on Michael Jackson the other day. It was, I became our sort of hobby for a week and now I've moved on. But Michael Jackson's a really interesting guy. And this documentary, I think, covered the, the best bits of his career. It went from the Jackson 5 to Off the Wall, his first solo album. And they were interviewing all these music experts. And one of the guys was like talking about the first track on Off the Wall. Don't Stop To Get Enough. And he was just like, as soon as that track started, I was with Michael the whole way. Like, keep on, with the force, don't stop. I don't know if you know that song, but that song seriously sets the tone for the rest of that guy's incredible career and the rest of that album. And Psalm, Palm Sunday, not Psalm Sunday, although we will get to the Psalms, which are very important. Palm Sunday sets the tone. It's about Jesus as king. It's about Jesus worthy to be worshiped. It's about Jesus being very unexpected in a lot of what He does. And so I'm going to crowdsource our Bible reading today, because it's actually four gospels, and I want to sort of touch on all four gospels. So does anyone have a favorite gospel? Does anyone have a favorite gospel? A Couple, David, what's your favorite gospel? John, alright, David's going to be reading from John. Does anyone else want to read from John? Not publicly. You're just going to be reading to yourself. Does everyone have a Bible or access to a Bible? There's some in the, the pew holsters. If you don't have one handy, just ask a friend if they can lean over with their device or something. Would anyone like to read John 12, 12 to 19? There's maybe, what, 30 of us here, so let's get 6, 7. Everyone's going to read one of these Stories That are on the screen So anyone for John Janet David Maybe some people are going to secretly read John Anyone for Matthew Matthew 21 1 to 11 Nuri's got that Anyone else keen to read from Matthew Again this is not going to be public This is just by yourself But I want to get us all reading one of these readings Anyone for Mark Phil, Talia, Erica Mark 11 1 to 11 And Luke 19, 28 to 44, the longest Palm Sunday story. Anyone who's gonna do Luke for us, Roz. Alright, there's a few of us who haven't nominated a book, so you're gonna surprise us with which one you go for. But let's just take some time now and read one of these accounts. So we're just reading from one of the Palm Sunday accounts. Free choice, choose your own adventure. How's everyone going with their reading? <laughs> so
1: these sort of exercises separate the,
0: um, the Jesses from the Lockies when it comes to reading speed. Jess reads like three times as fast as me. It's always awkward when we do Bible reading together. Because I feel like she's able to hear from the Lord at a rate that I just can't comprehend because she can read the Scriptures so quickly. So Matthew 21. Who read from Matthew? Nuri? Joy, does anyone feel comfortable? Just shout it out. People who read from Matthew, what what did we see in the Matthew account? Just like not anything like special you noticed, just anything you saw. What happened in Matthew's account of Palm Sunday? Anyone wanna shout out anything yet, Nuri? Well, oh, it was uh, Jesus came in. He speaks about the prophecy that is to there um, into the, uh, the fold of um, yeah. the donkey and uh, they, he speaks to two of his disciples to go and uh, fetch the, the donkey in the fold and uh, when they came back, back out they laid out the cloaks for um, Jesus to sit on the fold and um, you know, people down the, the path into uh, that point, and that was sort of, uh, that sort of, uh, um, the Lord because he's coming to mm. that's, that's great so that, that will sound quite um, familiar to everyone who read um, from whatever gospel because a lot of the details are similar so in Matthew's account um, we see Jesus uh, controlling the situation at the start instructing um, two disciples to go and, and, and untie a colt, bring them to Jesus. We see a prophecy. We see two donkeys in this story. So some of the accounts have two donkeys, some have one. This one has a donkey and her colt. And so this, is, this happened because Jesus um, was riding a colt as prophesied, uh, a donkey that had never been ridden, but because this would have been a young donkey, it needed its, its mother there. Otherwise, it would have sort of spun out and, you know, like some of us, we still need our mums with us when we do big tasks. And if we're carrying Jesus, we need our mum with us. Otherwise, it is yeah, going to get hectic. So that's why there's a cult and a donkey in the Matthew account. Sometimes the cult is just referenced, though, in other ones. Um, we have a, a prophecy, as Nuri said, from Zechariah 9.9, 9, which we'll talk about in a bit. We have the disciples doing as they were instructed. We have a very large crowd, but that's all we get. And so, as we go through some of these accounts, we go. some of the accounts, like Matthew's account, does not explain why there is a very large crowd. But when we get to John's, John really is interested in why there is a very large crowd, and he'll tell us. We have this scene of adoration, which is um, in all of, all of the accounts. The, the cloaks spread and the, the cut branches and the crowds shouting, Hosanna, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then we have at the end, Jesus enters Jerusalem and people are asking, who is this? And the crowds answer, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So he's being given a kingly entrance and then they say, this is Jesus the prophet. Any comments or questions? I'd like to apologize for getting this city wrong That is totally fine. Bethlehem is a very important city in the life of Jesus. And Bethlehem does get referenced in another of the accounts, actually. So that's that's the Matthew reading. Did anyone read the Mark reading and is, is willing to give us a little dot point on what happened in the Mark reading? Phil? find the cult type there and it um, made an explicit reference to the cult which no one was ever. Heard. Mm. Um but I think one thing I've uh went to, do, really to do, following up to a bit of the 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 disciples did they went said the words that Jesus told them to say the outcome that was, Jesus said was going to happen that happened and the people let him go. And take the cult. Um, there's not much reference to be. The crowds. It just refers to mm. many people spreading cloaks and branches on the yep. on the ground and talking about those who went ahead and those who followed. Shouted down. But I think the one thing I really picked up was that the crowd in this um, version says, "Blessings to the coming kingdom of our father David." Yeah, that is different. That's right. That's a great summary. Thanks, Phil. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It's quite similar at the start. Um, we see this, you know, Jesus is, is approaching Jerusalem from Bethpage and Bethany, and he sends two disciples, and we just hear of the cult in this one. We just hear the cult, and, and Phil's right. It says, which no one has ever ridden. And then he says, if anyone asks you why you're doing this, say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. The Lord needs the cult. And the Lord... Um, can in some circles um, be the word for the king, Caesar. Uh, in other circles, the Lord is, is the word for God. And so there's something interesting going on there when, when Jesus um, refers to himself as Lord. We, we have the cloaks on the colt. The cloaks are put on the colt so Jesus could sit on him. And the cloaks and branches are put on the ground, um, like a red carpet. Has anyone ever walked a red carpet? Imagine. Oh, Roz has. Hello. That's amazing. I, I once got to... I didn't get to walk a red carpet, but I got to, like, stand on where the red carpet was after the red carpet had been walked. Like, there was some sort of, like, premiere for this, like, fashion film award that um, our friend was in, and so we went along with her. But then it got really boring. Like, her, her fashion film had been... And there was another two hours of short fashion film, so we just left early and got to go on the red carpet as we left. So, that was fun. But it's like this red carpet um, entrance evoking a royal homage. And we have at the end that Jesus goes into the temple. And that's, that's something different here in Mark. In verse 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem, went into the temple courts, and surveys everything. But then goes back to hang out with his disciples, for he's going to come back to the temple tomorrow. All right, Luke 19. did anyone read from Luke, and we'd be happy to give us the dot point summary. Roz, what happened in the Luke reading? I wonder whether, you know, the fact that people threw their cloaks on the ground just seemingly general consciousness of those miracles that had occurred and one um, well, couldn't help but wonder, after the owner of the let letting go there would have been curiosity at the other end of the path hmm. and you gradually see this hubbub, you know, with, with Jesus um, on the
1: cult
0: yeah entering the road, which must have been it's, astounding I know, it's incredible and the shouting the shouting, the response luke's luke 's um, account is a bit um, has some other like like you said, some other highlights that might not have been in the other ones, so yeah, we see the crowd of disciples joyfully welcome Jesus and praise God for the miracles which you picked up, rollers, the miracles they have seen, and so they 're um, into Jesus because of the miracles they 've seen and and the crowd of disciples, those who follow Jesus. There. We we have a similar beginning in Luke, the the unridden cult. Um, One interesting thing in Luke is that when, when Jesus says the Lord needs it, that is the first time in Luke that Jesus calls himself Lord. Very interesting because Holy Week, this is the opening scene of Holy Week, and who Jesus is, a question we've been asking through all of the Gospels, becomes so much more real and so much more apparent in this week and so Jesus calls himself Lord for the first time in Luke we have the the cloaks spread on the ground like we talked about, the the disciples joyfully welcoming Jesus, celebrating the miracles and praising God for the miracles they've seen, we then have the Pharisees in this story tell Jesus to rebuke the disciples for praising him and Jesus says this marvellous line, he says if they keep quiet The the rocks will cry out, the stones will cry out in praise. So great is the Lord Jesus that if the disciples and his followers don't cry out in praise, then the stones themselves will cry out. And then, maybe um, the thing that's most different in Luke's account is at the end, we have Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. And he weeps because of the spiritual blindness. Of, of the city and its people. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, the capital of, of Jewish religion. The place where God was meant to, to reside, in his temple. And the people of Jerusalem do not recognise God. They do not recognise Jesus. And so he says, because you're not able to recognise the time of God's coming to you, Jerusalem, you will face judgment. And he's, he's prophesying that Jerusalem, as um, historians would know, was, was destroyed in 70 AD. And then we have John. And John's always good for something different. John almost never does the same thing as the other three. And for time, I'm going to just explain John so we, we keep going. But in John's, John's account, John explains a lot of things about the crowd. So John tells us that the great crowd was there because it was the festival of Passover. And this is going to become really important because Jesus enters Jerusalem for Passover, as as any good Jewish man would do, but also at Passover, because Passover is the best time for him to come and do what he's going to do, like socially and politically, because that's when, when the most people are going to be around. But theologically and religiously and spiritually, Passover is very important because Jesus comes and he comes to rescue and save his people at Passover. And Passover was the festival remembering that God rescues and saves his people. So we have a, a new Passover that is going to be instituted over Holy Week. And so Jesus comes at Passover and we, we hear that the crowd had heard Jesus was coming. So Jesus had a bit of a rep by now, an and people had heard that oh, Passover's happening and Jesus is going to show up to Jerusalem for Passover. In, in John's account, we still have the, um, the prophecy of Zechariah referenced and the, the praise, which is referenced to Psalm 118, which I'm going to speak about in a minute. Um, in John, he just says a donkey. Uh, No reference of a cult, he calls it a donkey, and so that's why we have this sort of language. Sometimes we say Jesus was riding on a donkey, sometimes we say a cult. John then um, provides editorial comment after he sort of outlines the story, and he explains that the, the disciples did not initially understand what was going on, and actually wouldn't understand until later after Jesus had been glorified. We then find out more about why the crowd was there, that a lot of people had heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and so he started to gather a following. And so that's why heaps of people were, were there and welcoming him. And then we see again the Pharisees. The Pharisees are upset about Jesus' popularity. And this might give us clue as to why Jesus ends up getting killed, because he's leading a movement, a Jewish movement, that's very counter to the other sort of strands of Judaism at the time. And the Pharisees are not... So, so, they're the four Palm Sunday accounts. And what I want to do now is look at what's common to all of them and, and how we can understand this day through that. So, what's common to all of them is this prophecy from Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9 prophesies that Israel's enemies will be subdued, that God will return to his temple, that Jerusalem's king will come. Zechariah 9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shouts, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We see the colt, but it's, it's going to be a young donkey, one that's never ridden as one of our accounts. Have. The Jerusalem will shout, Jerusalem will rejoice greatly because Jerusalem's king has come. And is both righteous, that is right and good, and victorious. And victorious is a really interesting word because a lot of people interpreted this prophecy as meaning when the king comes in victory, that victory will be military victory. And Rome will be defeated and all of Israel's oppressors will be defeated. And they will live in the promised land in peace once again. And yet Jesus, the way he does victory is very different. Of course, it does lead to his people living in the promised land in peace once again, but in a different way to to what the Jewish people thought. The rest of the prophecy says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So we see here that maybe it is this sort of peaceful victory. The war horses might not be involved. that The battle bow will be broken. And yet peace will not be just for Israel, but will be to the nations. That his rule will not just be over Israel, his rule of, of righteousness and victory, but will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your son Zion, that's Jerusalem, against your son's Greece and make you like a warrior's sword. Of course, that bit there would make, you maybe think that it is going to be a military victory against um, maybe the Greeks or the Romans. So Zechariah 9, the prophecy, is, is included in the accounts of Palm Sunday. And so we know from, from this that, that when Jesus came, he was coming as the prophesied king, a prophesied king of Israel. And he was coming on a donkey, on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We know that in Israel's enemies will be subdued, and as we've been talking about in Mark, maybe the enemies aren't Military, nationalistic enemies, as much as they are the powers of evil. We see here that God will return to his temple, that God will return to Jerusalem. And and the Jewish people, God had left them, he departed, his presence had departed because of their disobedience. And that hope that God in his spirit would come and fill Jerusalem and fill the temple again. And if you know what's happened in, in the Gospel before, you might have an inkling that Jesus is God. And so as Jesus comes to Jerusalem, Jesus is fulfilling this long-hoped-for return of God's presence to his temple and to his dwelling place, Jerusalem. And of course, the Jews had long hoped for that Jerusalem's king would come. And here he is. And so the other important um, Old Testament reference that is in all of these Accounts is, is from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is a royal thanksgiving for the fulfilment of the kinds of victories promised by God. It was sung in, on Passover, so we're in Passover now, and it was sung on Passover by the Jewish people in remembrance of the Exodus, remembrance of God's victory for Israel. And it was sung in anticipation of the new Exodus to come when God would free his people once more. And Psalm 118 says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And the word Hosanna means Lord, save us. And that is that word that that was in these stories of, of Palm Sunday from all the Gospels. We see this word Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. And then the praise that was proclaimed in all those stories was, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so the Palm Sunday um, sort of adoration, the Palm Sunday worship, the Palm Sunday praise is lifted straight from Psalm 118. Hosanna, Lord save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The rest of the psalm says, from the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and He has made His light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the feastal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. That's our next song. So we have these two references from the Old Testament that are in all our Palm Sunday accounts. Zechariah 9 and Psalm 118. And then we have two features that are in all of our accounts as well. And they are the cloaks and palm branches. And the cloaks and palms were um, traditional to welcoming an an Israelite king. And so this is very common. If, If this is the entrance of a king now believe it is from knowing our Old Testaments and knowing what Jesus was doing then this makes sense, that there is a cloak laid down and and branches laid down to give him a red carpet entrance, a royal entrance. This was was very typical. The other thing that was common to all our stories was was the colt or donkey. And what's interesting about this one is that this is actually a traditional royal entrance as well. So often we hear that, oh, a donkey was very meek and humble. And that is true, but a donkey or a, a foal, the cult of a donkey, was actually the traditional transportation for the entrance of a king. And so it's completely appropriate, because Jesus is very sure of himself as king. So he enters on on a donkey, a a foal, what a king would enter on. And so the donkey actually means that Jesus has nothing to prove. Jesus knows he is king and he is bold and he says, here I am, I'm king, I don't have anything to prove. So where we get this confusion from, why we might think, oh, surely a king would enter on chariots or in a Lamborghini, I think it's 2018, or a Hummer. They still have like those Hummer limousines. That was sort of trendy when I was doing Year Twelve formals, but I haven't seen them lately. But when we sort of think, "Oh, why doesn't Jesus enter on in, enter in on that?" It's because the emperors, the the other political kings, Caesar, they did feel like they had something to prove. They did feel like they had to to prove themselves some way. So maybe they would ride chariots and horses. But the, the traditional Israelite king would enter on a donkey. This is less a sign of a humility and meekness and more a sign of being a true Jewish king. And yet Jesus is extremely humble. And we know that not from the donkey but from how the rest of the week plays out. That he enters Jerusalem as a king. He's a king because he's on a donkey. He's a king because he's got the, the royal treatment with the cloaks and branches. He's the king because he's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. He's the king because all the people are hailing him as, as God and king, as Psalm 118 has said. And what Jesus does as king in this next week is absolutely radical, is absolutely humble, is so meek. And So Jesus is bold in his identity as king. And he's bold in his um, awareness of his call to be Israel's king. But he's meek and humble in how he serves and how he sacrifices. And so if we want to be like Jesus and learn from Palm Sunday, then I want to encourage you that humility is not being self-effort, self-effacing or, or denying your, your identity or being humble about who you've been made to be. Some of you, God made you to be incredible at what you do. All of you, God made you to be incredible people and sons and daughters of God. So humility is not backing away from that. We follow Jesus in boldness in stepping into our God-given identity and into our God-given calling. Yet we follow Jesus in his humility in how he served and how he sacrificed and how he laid down his life for others. So humility and Jesus' humility here is not a lack of boldness or confidence in who he is, but living for others and not for yourself. C.S. Lewis It says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, rather it's thinking of yourself less. And so we have this Palm Sunday story of Jesus, the King, the true King, Israel's King. Jesus enters Jerusalem as King. The crowds welcome Him him as King, as their messianic deliverer. But no one suspects that He will deliver them that he will have victory and he will be crowned as king the way that he will be over this next week. No one really expected that that he'd take on the role of Isaiah's suffering servant and suffer for his people. No one suspected that when it said king of the Jews above his head, it would be on a cross with his arms stretched wide, with nails through his his hands and his feet. And it's there that it would say king of the Jews above his head no one expected that this king would be a humble servant and would be a saviour through sacrifice rather than through the sword. So in this week we find out these incredible truths that God saves, that Jesus wins, that Jesus is king. And yet it's so unexpected. And it was unexpected for everyone there, and it's still unexpected for us today. And when we look at Jesus on Palm Sunday, it's a shock of how he steps into his role as king over the next week. So I want to ask us today how is Jesus different to what you expected? Or how is Jesus different to what you desired of him? How is he different? I don't watch a lot of TV anymore, but I pulled out the uh, tuner and Antenna and all that for the, the first Crows game of the year and watched that and I, I saw ads for the first time in month. I've got the, the YouTube ad blocker and don't watch much free-to-air, so I'm like not exposed to television ads and yet it was bizarre having all these ads and, and watching them and it felt like it had been so long and there's this ad um, by NAB at the bank that It's about what do you want. Has anyone seen this ad? And it talks to little little children and goes, what do you want? And the kids go, I want the cameraman's job. Or I want a million Easter eggs. And then it, it interviews adults and goes, what do you want? And they're puzzled. It's like, that is a big question. What do I desire? I don't know. To know what we desire, to know what we want, to know what we love, we often find out by what we put our hope in, what we put our trust in. In other words, what might be our king. And so I want you to think about today, how is Jesus different to the king that you might desire? Maybe we sort of want a king who's a bit of a military legend. Maybe we sort of want a king who's, who's proud, who's mighty, Yet Jesus is a really unexpected king, and Jesus serves, and Jesus sacrifices, and Jesus lays down his life, what does that mean, that, that that's our king? Jesus was king, but he repurposed his power. He was worthy of praise, he was Israel's king, and he didn't reject that, he didn't shy away from that, but he did use his power as king in the most unexpected way. He repurposed his power as king. And he repurposed his power as God, not for his own good, but for other. And so my final question today is about repurposing power. Because Jesus was king, but he repurposed his power, not for himself, as many leaders do today. Not for himself, as many powerful people might today but he repurposed just like we repurpose old timber and turn it into hipster coffee tables we repurpose old hymns and turn them into modern worship songs much to the dismay of a lot of you I'm sure I'm guilty of that Jesus repurposed his power as God and King and so how might you repurpose the power that you have in following Jesus. Maybe your power is, is health. Maybe your power is that you have some sort of wealth. Maybe your power is that you have a position of authority in, in your workplace or in your family life. Maybe your position of power is, is just your privilege as an Australian. How might you repurpose that power? Not for your own good, but for the good of others. To serve sacrificially as Jesus did. For he served and saved us. And so we spread that news by serving and sacrificing for those around us. This week is the week that changed the world. And we are the beneficiaries of all that Jesus did. But then we're also participators in going and seeking to do something similar, not the same. We can never do what Jesus did, but we can seek to be like Jesus in how we love others, how we serve and how we sacrifice.